Welcome to the Authorised Podcast. My name's Kevin Hillier. This is the podcast where writers speak, and today you're going to meet a fascinating writer, lady with a terrific history, uh, but only her second book, and we'll uh, talk to Meg Bignall very shortly about her new book, Welcome to Nowhere River. Meg's got a great little history, a great little story, and uh, lives in a wonderful part of Australia too, which she's kind of brought to life through this uh, new novel. And our thanks, of course, to our partners in this podcast, which is CSCG, and you can contact them very easily. Just jump on their website, cscg.com.au, or give them a call. They're always happy to have a chat with you about your financial situation, whether you want to talk accounting, whether you want to talk taxation, whatever it is, they're there for a chat. Uh, 03 That's the number, cscg.com.au is the website. You'll find out all about them, and I'm sure uh, when you do business with them, you will not be disappointed. And you won't be disappointed in the book we're presenting for you this week and the author. It's Welcome to Nowhere River. It's by Meg Bignall, and let's meet Meg right now. Thank you for joining me on the Authorised Podcast. Uh, What's the reaction of the book been like so far? Um, I think it's been, I I tend not to read reviews too much, but it's, I feel there's an overall positive reaction to the book. I think I've had some really gorgeous comments and people seem to be really enjoying it, so that's really nice. Uh, it's your second book. Uh, did this one Was this one easy? I mean, everyone says they've got a book in them somewhere, but is the second one harder? In some ways it was easier because it was contracted to Penguin Random House. So I felt, um, I felt like my work had a bit more permission perhaps, than it did the first time around. The first book, The Sparkle Pages, was written very much in my spare time and often late at night when everyone was asleep and whenever I could get to it. The second book, I felt a little bit more like I was a writer, Um, so I could spend the time when the children were at school to work on it. um, but, But in other ways, it was harder because I had a deadline. And there was more pressure to deliver, I suppose, yep. and to and to give something that would be of a standard for Penguin Random House. Yeah, all of a sudden you're a proper writer and it's a real job. Yes, it still sometimes doesn't feel like a real job, but because I love it so much. But yes, I think that's right. I think that's what I'm getting at. So turning turning you back on on your television career and your nursing career to to do writing, and obviously it was an enormous uh, you know it was enormous calling for you. I think it was. I think it was. Pretty early on, it was a calling, but I I ignored it in favour of having a job, a day-to-day job and a trade, I suppose, which um, in hindsight was actually a really sensible move. It was a really, nursing was a wonderful career and it's not something I'd ever change. I was much stronger in the humanities, so I went on and did a science degree, which kind of was a bit odd, but... Yeah. Then became a nurse, and I've worked as a trauma nurse and in the emergency department for about nine years. And I think writing, journal writing, was something I did all the way through that. Yeah, um, as a way to sort of perhaps process what I was seeing in a day to day job. So I kept doing that, and it just seemed like. Well, I saw an ad in the paper for a copywriter for the local television station. I must have been in a bit of a night duty fuzz in my head because (laughs) I applied for it and perhaps it felt like it was a bit of a joke and then um, I was offered the job. And so I took that leap and um, things sort of changed direction from there. Was it a hard leap to walk away from uh, from television? Uh, I mean, you're presenting the weather and 
uh, and to go full time into into writing was that a you know like stepping off the, a bridge? Well, it came. It, it sort of came a bit naturally because I went. I I progressed in the television world, and I think a lot of people in television have an expression that once you're in there, you can't leave. It gets kind of addictive, and it really did. Mm. And I moved through from copywriter to presenter to producer. And then I went and worked in Sydney for Channel 7 Allstate because that sort of brought my two career together because I was doing medical advising and medical research for the script department and then advising the actors on set. And so that was another sort of departure from commercial television into drama. And it wasn't that hard to walk away from that because at that point I was in Sydney and my now husband proposed and brought me back to Tasmania and so I left television, had babies and started writing in my spare time. Well, we're glad you did because we wouldn't have Welcome to Nowhere River if you didn't. And it's a it's a lovely – I, I, I guess the, the word – I've been trying to think of the, the perfect word, but it's sort of enchanting in many ways for me when I, when I went through it. Oh, thank you. That's a lovely word. I love that word. So I'm really pleased you felt that way. Because the characters are, are both likable and detestable, which is a really good trait, <laughs> uh, and 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 there's so much. I mean, the thing I liked about it probably more than anything else, it's they're they're real people. They're very relatable human beings. Yes, I I really work hard to make them as relatable as possible. And the other thing I try to do is be kind to them because some of them have perhaps their not so great traits outweigh their good ones. But I try yeah. and give everyone some goodness and I think that's true in real life for the most part and um, I try to if they're not a good person I try to give them a reason for that so um, I'm really glad you found them relatable they're a little bit larger than life would you say I think they have to be I I think they (laughs) have to be they're they're part of part of what part of what you do and it's the show busying up of I guess in in many ways of the um of the characters. Nowhere River's uh, an interesting little place. How did you kind of put it all together? Well, it's it's a product of my own experiences living in small towns, growing up in a small town and moving to another one, and also a lot of imagination yeah. <laughs> is in there. So the town is fictional, but it's on an imagined tributary of the river I grew up on in Tasmania's Derwent Valley. So... Upstream from there, in the heading towards the high country, I've imagined a town and modelled it on a variety of places that I've visited and populated it with people that are built from people I've met and my imagination. I know uh, the last twelve months has been uh, in a tough time for a lot of uh, people. We're in, in, living in Tassie, was the was the COVID uh, sort of cloud hanging over your head when you were writing this or not? I'd pretty much finished it when COVID hit. So um, it was delayed quite a bit because of COVID, so it has been affected. But for the most part in Tasmania, we've really been so, so lucky. I think um, we had about seven weeks of no school, so we came back to the farm and hunkered down here and and really relate, you know, if you compare that to sort of most other places in the world, including the time you've had in Melbourne, um, it really was... We've been so unscathed, and as farmers, we've um, I live on a dairy farm, so we've had just about the best kind of year as far as rainfall goes that we've had 
whole time I've lived on this farm. So I feel very lucky. Publishing is relatively unscathed. Yeah, Farming's so. been great. And um, in Tassie, we've just kept on top of it so well. So um, I really have no complaints. Yet poor little Nowhere River has a shocking drought going on. Yes, yes. So I've lived through a few of those oh, and I man. know what what that's like and I know there's a lot of people in the rest of the country that have had worse than we have here. And um, so, yeah, I brought the drought into it because it's um, a constant sort of threat when you're in, in the country, whether you are farming or whether you're, you know, a, a shop owner in a town, it has a ripple effect on everyone. So I felt like that was a really good way of, of being a bit more unkind to my poor town that's um, <laughs> battling. <laughs> so, but yeah, the stakes were higher, I guess. One of the things that, that I guess appealed to me about it is is having spent the last, uh, you know, most of the last 12 months in some form of lockdown of some description, that kind of yearning for, for, for you know, the, for the country life, for the, the non-city exposure, for, for, for a simpler way of going about things, for, you know, being on dirt roads and, and just knowing the people that you're walking past in the street, the Nowhere River really does uh, encompass all that and that's one of the reasons why I, I guess I gravitated to it. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yes, I, I think there's a definite sort of tree change feeling in the air. Maybe it's been accelerated by COVID, but there's talk here in Tasmania of lots of people interested in property here and moving down here, and um, I'm not surprised. And I guess I've had I've had a slightly different view of what my life is on the farm because my children are growing up and they're spending more time in the city in Hobart, so I'm there quite a lot now and I find that when I'm there I just want to be back here in, on the farm. Yeah. So I do understand that that feeling and I feel so lucky to be in a place where even during lockdown if we went for a walk, we could walk for an hour and still be in our backyard. It's a lovely, obviously a lovely part of the world. Welcome to Nowhere River. It's also a lovely part of the world. Take me through uh, how you how you kind of constructed. Do you have a storyboard uh, of of the of the uh, you know the outline of what you're going to do, sort of up on a wall somewhere or in your head, or does it just develop on a day by day basis that you think, oh, I'd like to take Kara over here and have this happen to her and the twins, or how do you, how do you work that out when you're doing it? Uh, definitely the latter. So I'm not a planner. Oh. I don't have storyboards. I've worked storyboards a lot of my life because I've the television side of things and um, screenwriting but with my novels I so far I mean I'm the second novel in so maybe my practices will develop over time but at the moment I tend to be a bit fly by the seat of my pants so I as long as I can sit at my desk and get some distraction free time then I just let the magic happen and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't and Sometimes I surprise myself and my characters surprise me. And I think, I'm not sure if it's brilliant for my publisher. I have sent <laughs> uh, drafts to her, to her that have been extremely long and disorganized. <laughs> and um, I'm trying to rein that in a lot as I progress in my career. But they are an absolute mess. And I find I get to the sort of, Point where I need to end the book because it's getting too long and my characters have run all over the place. So I have to go running after them and pull them back in. So the rewrite for me is, is the structural rewrite is when I have to be very 
disciplined yeah, and yeah. cut out a lot of the stuff. But I've learned that that's part of my process, and I just have to accept it. And I'm, and that that draft zero we call it is so much fun to write. Just let it come out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just let mm. it. Well, uh, having read the book and some of the things that are in the book, my God, I'd love to have seen what what you left out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I extracted another novel out of draft. Oh, there you go. So <laughs> you will see how um, we'll see how this one's received, and if, if people would like a sequel, well, you know, I've got enough material. <laughs> Beautiful. How much of you is in some of the characters in the book? Is that, is that uh, something that just happens and you sort of don't even realise you're doing it sometimes? Or Yes, that does happen. Sometimes I don't realise it. Sometimes I set out to write a character because I, I have something to say about something I've experienced. So, for instance, I, Cara, my main protagonist, is, the mother of twins. Yep. She lives on a. She lives in the country. I am a mother of twins. I live in the country. So that side of the story, I was easy to write because it came. The mothering part came directly from my own experience. So, and I, I wanted to depict um, a young mother, sort of out of her comfort zone and learning so much about herself and about life via two sleepless little babies yeah. <laughs> and what it's like to see the world through sleep-deprived eyes. So, yes, sometimes it's intentional. Other times it surprises me. For instance, I've got a character named Lucy um, who's an older woman and she's married to Len. And they, I've always, I find Len and Lucy really easy to write. I've, they're a joy to me. Their banter and the way they think has have has come really easily and somebody pointed out to me that perhaps Lucy is me in about another twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think they're right. So maybe that's why she was so easy to write. And she's she seems to be popping up in my work under different names. Oh right. So I was, I was actually gonna ask <laughs> if if Lucy and Len were based on your parents. Yeah, well that that's been a question too. They're they're actually not. They're they're different from my parents. So oh. I think maybe it's me. I don't know where Len comes from, <laughs> but I think Lucy's me. Where does the ferret walker come from? Oh, my goodness. That was one of those little things that just appear out of nowhere and I don't know where it came from. Okay. I did visit at the Royal Hobart show a few years ago. I visited, I stumbled across the ferret display. Right. And... I sort of hadn't come across ferrets in my life very often, but there are enthusiasts out there. And oh, yes. Have you come across ferrets, Kevin? Well, they're not, odd no, creatures. No, not, not in that way. Yeah, no, they're very odd creatures. They're very strange-looking creatures, they, and they're the, the sharpest teeth in the entire universe, I'm told. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But, yeah, it's a, it, it's a quaint kind of um, <laughs> animal to have introduced into the book. With It's, it's Cliffity, <laughs> the, 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 he's the ferret man. He's the ferret man, Cliffity, yeah. So he he was the local butcher until he retired and moved into the nursing home and um, his father was a ferreter because he started out getting rabbits and selling rabbits and then opened a butcher shop, so it sort of progressed from there. So, again, I, you know, I can't even tell you where that all came from except to say that I was strangely creeped out and fascinated by these creatures. <laughs> 
I wanted to know more about the people that love them. The other, the other thing that rides through this, and it might be one line, uh, you know, that a character like an Alan Lamb type character says, or it, or it might be what happens in the yoga class. Uh, the humour that you've, the, and in some stages, very black humour that you've got running through the book too, is is a lovely little addition. Thank you. Yes, I, I find it. It's odd. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I find it really hard to write without humour. It just come. It comes very naturally. And at the same time, I have a sort of odd fascination with sadness and tragedy. I think maybe that stems from my former life as an emergency nurse, that I, I have this odd combination of humour and, and sadness and tragedy. And I think you see that in real life. You know, you, you go, you, especially perhaps in, well, I'm not sure, but I think in, in country towns especially, Sometimes the coping mechanisms of getting through something really hard is humour mm. and comedy. So I've tried to depict that throughout the book, and there are there's a lot of quirks of language that I use that I find hilarious and fascinating. And I've I've almost collect I've got a collection of of expressions that are very unique to certain parts of. The country and some some are unique to families. You know, they just yep. they're little expressions that are said within a family. And I put the call out and to, to groups of people, and I think I got about a, a thousand oh, wow. sort of expressions. So then I had to order them, put them into order and categories, and had a lot of fun with them and used a lot of them in the book. So people like Alan Lamb. Some of it I probably can't say on your podcast. No, it's perfectly right. I was going to bring one up. I've never heard the expression strung up by his ass ropes before, but it, <laughs> it it did caught my eye completely. I thought that's hysterical. That's such a great – that's such – someone would really say that. Yes, and someone really does. And to give you <laughs> another example, which didn't go in the book because it's just too um, unbelievable, but um, in my local district, my husband tells the story of a man who ended most of his sentences with that bear with it and on it. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> yes. And I know that's really hard to imagine, but he'd just say something about what he'd seen that day and end it with that bear with it and on it. Right. But I can't put that in a book because you, you, would, you just wouldn't believe it. It'd be too confusing. But those little quirks of language just happen all the time yeah. without anyone thinking about it. And I just, I love it. I'm listening out for those things all the time. And, yeah, Strung Out by His Ass Ropes was, yeah. <laughs> was one, of, yes. one I came across. And I think he's referring to the amalgamation of the local football team into a bigger Southern Tasmanian league, which right. has happened here and yes. um, and did leave a lot of small towns with nothing to do on a, on a Saturday morning. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that came from, from that. They're, they're little tiny stories that I pick up and then, weave into people's narratives in the book. Now, speaking of uh, weaving it into a narrative, uh, you, you've got a uh, an audio edition of the book that's coming out, which you're obviously uh, uh, dying to hear what um, what Marta Dusseldorf does with it as a as a speaking book. Yeah, so we were. Um, I was so honoured and so lucky to have got Marta Dusseldorf on on board to read the book. She's she read an early edition and um, really enjoyed it and. So I and gave me a lovely quote for our cover, and so we decided 
to go out on a limb and ask her to narrate it. And she hasn't done audiobook work before, but she said yes. And I mean, she's she's a class act. Oh, so yeah. I went, yeah, I went along to the audio recordings, and it was um, she's she's applied her beautiful voice and her wonderful gift for acting into the into the narration and it's I've haven't listened I've listened to the whole thing in the recording session but I haven't had a chance to listen to the audiobook but yes I think it's going to be a treat oh good stuff so you mentioned that uh, there's a lot of material uh, in the first draft draft zero that uh, that didn't make it into the book so is welcome back to nowhere river already in your planning schedule oh I haven't thought of that title but that's an obvious choice isn't it I had um yes it's not the next project I've got Another draft zero, apologies to my publisher in advance, um, <laughs> for a, um, the next project, with, with which working title is The Angry Women's Choir. Um, oh, wow, I like that. That's something I'm really having fun with. I'm going to have to do that dreaded structural rewrite fairly soon, so that's going to take a lot of discipline. So the next, the sequel to Nowhere River, let's see how the first one's received and if people want to track the, the characters through the next stages, then I'm very happy to take them there. Congratulations on uh, on the book. Uh, your second book and your third one, obviously, uh, is uh, is on the drawing board now. Uh, uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us, Meg. It's been lovely to catch up. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you for reading and, and thank you so much for your wonderful podcast. Enchanting is the word I used and I stick by that. It's a lovely read. I'm sure you'll enjoy it if you uh, pick it up and grab it. It's called Welcome to Nowhere River by Meg Bignall. My thanks to Meg for her time on our podcast. Don't forget uh, there's plenty of other editions and authors to uh, to check out on our podcast wherever you've uh, found uh, this episode. Go back and you'll find Monica McInerney, Peter Fitzsimons, uh, Tana Douglas, the world's first female roadie, Jeff Apter talking about uh, the George Young story and Jeff will be joining us in a couple of weeks talking about his new book on John English and also coming soon, Today I Effed Up and The Husband Poisoners. That's two separate books in case you're wondering and that's coming soon uh, to our authorised podcast. Some uh, fascinating books, some fascinating authors, some great stories to tell and you'll get them right here. With thanks to our very good friends at CSCG. They're happy to talk to you about your financial situation, help you out, see what they can do for you. Give them a call. 03-9974-8333 is their number and, of course, their website, cscg.com.au. Hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Authorised Podcast. Till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Read a book, you'll enjoy it. Oh, 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 o